Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you that we can come together this morning as your children and the freedom we have to hear your word, sing songs of praise and pray together. Even though we've been separated physically, thank you for the blessing of our church family. And what a real encouragement to hear Jane's story of how you've reached out to her and showed her her need of a saviour. Thank you for how you have given her your peace, even through really tough times, and have enabled her to be a blessing in so many ways to people around her. Father, thank you for all the good things that you give us. And we are sorry that in the busyness and distractions of life, we so often forget to acknowledge you. We want to say sorry this morning when we exalt ourselves above others and when we place too much value on the things of this world. We praise you that you love us so much that you sent Jesus to this world and gave up everything by dying on a cross for us. Today, please encourage us that your glorious kingdom is coming and however we're feeling, help us to flee to Jesus and cling to the cross. This term will come with lots of changes for many and Lord, whether we are excited about the adventure ahead or anxious about the uncertainty, please help us to remember that in an ever-changing world, you are an unchanging God. Nothing is outside of your knowledge and care. Help us to trust you. We pray for our young people as they start a new year of school or start a new school. Please help them settle into new classes and routines quickly to make new friends or enjoy seeing old friends. We pray for teachers as they return to the classroom. Please give them patience and wisdom as they adapt to new guidelines that may be in place. Please keep our young people and teachers safe and we continue to pray for the government as they make on ongoing decisions about schools and education. And we also lift you our students as they prepare to return to university over the coming weeks. Lord, we pray too for changes for us as a church. Thank you for bringing Colin White to serve here and for his arrival this weekend. And we really pray for him as he settles into Long Crendon and begins working as assistant pastor. Please help him to get to know people quickly and give him a real excitement to grow in his faith and maturity as he learns and serves in this church. Enable us to be a blessing to him as he blesses us with his ministry. Father, we continue to ask for your help as preparations are made to return to meeting for church services. Thank you for the wisdom that you've given to the team working behind the scenes to put different elements in place. We pray for guidance and energy ahead of next Sunday in particular. We pray that it will be a time of great joy as we worship together in person. We pray for protection as many come into the building. We also pray, Father, for those in our church family who are still isolating or unable to attend. And we pray that you would fill them with your peace. Thank you that you care about our every need. And we take a moment to lift those who are unwell or who need your healing hand at this time. Father, we pray, especially for Dave Green as he recovers from surgery. We give you great thanks that the operation was successful and we do pray for a smooth recovery. And we continue to pray for Jacqueline Gibson as well as she recovers now at home. Finally, we pray for our friend Stephen Matilda as they reach their halfway point of their home assignment in Canada. Lord, you know the challenges that they faced of not being able to interact with church and colleagues. But with, with them, we also praise you for the many blessings they've experienced. Thank you for good health 
and technology which has enabled their work to continue. Please give them good communication with the language teams in South Asia and help the, the two other language teams to make good progress with publishing the Bible for next year. We pray, Lord, that you would financially provide for Steve and Matilda as they look ahead to their return to the UK in December. Heavenly Father, please now fill Wellesley with your Holy Spirit as he explains your word to us. Please use his words to challenge and change us. And we lift all these prayers to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke 17, verses 20 to 37. The coming of the kingdom of God. Once, on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, The coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, Here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Then he said to his disciples, The time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. People will tell you, There he is, or here he is. Do not go running off after them. For the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning, which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying and being given in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulphur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on the housetop with possessions inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night two people will be in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding corn together. One will be taken and the other left. Where, Lord? they asked. He replied, Where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. That Bible passage open at Luke chapter 17, and I'm going to pray for us now before we look at it together. Father in heaven, we want to give you thanks for your word to us. And as we consider this morning the coming of your kingdom, we pray for the advance of your kingdom in our own hearts. We pray that more of our life will be brought under your loving rule. And we also pray for the extension of your kingdom in this world, that more people would come to hear and trust in the Lord Jesus. And we pray all these things for your glory. Amen. Well, the question before us this morning is a, is a simple question, but it's one that I think leaves a lot of people scratching their head in confusion. And the question is this, where are you going after life? I wonder if I was to, or someone was to look you in the eye this morning and ask you that question. I wonder what you would say in response. Where are you going after this life? Or if you were to turn out to the world 
and ask them the same question this morning. I wonder what they would say. What would the people of Long Crendon say? The people of Tame, the people of Haddenham, the people of Aylesbury. What would they say in answer to that question? Well, you can almost guarantee that with most people it would be met with a blank expression. Because we're so occupied with the now, preoccupied with life before us, that we fail to consider the future. This world is so confused. So confused when it comes to the question of what will be, what will happen in the future. We're so absorbed with the now. But what about the then? Yet as we'll see this morning, God in his word has spoken ever so clearly on this matter. In fact, the question the Pharisees asked Jesus in verse 20, which, which prompts this whole section of teaching, is essentially a question about how one day all things will wrap up. Have a look with me, verse 20. Once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, dot, dot, dot. That is the question that Jesus is responding to. When will God's kingdom come? And when God's kingdom does come, when God's king returns, what will that mean for you and for me? Well, in response to that question there in verse 20, Jesus makes it clear to those who are listening that there are two dimensions to the coming of his kingdom. There is a present dimension and a future dimension, a now and a not yet. And those two dimensions, the present and the future, give us our headlines, our two headings this morning. Firstly then, we have the present kingdom. Look again at verse 20 and 21. Once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, The coming of the kingdom is not something that can be observed. Nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. God's kingdom is already here. It is in our midst, if only we had eyes to see it. You see, when Jesus Christ walked in this world 2,000 years ago, the main topic of conversation on the streets of Jerusalem, indeed the main subject of the teaching of Jesus, was that of the kingdom of God. At this time, Jerusalem was occupied by the Romans, and the Jews were waiting. They were waiting for God's king to come, his, his Messiah to come and liberate them from that oppressive rule. But of course they were looking in the wrong place. They were looking for the wrong type of king. The Messiah they were looking for would be this this military ruler. One who would come with pomp and with power and, and rally the troops and overthrow the Romans and give them back their land. But of course that's not the sort of Messiah that Jesus was. When Jesus arrived in this world, they did not roll out the red carpet for him. He did not come in pomp and in power. He came in humility. He was born into poverty. The initial breaking in of God's kingdom would not be loud and dramatic and observable. It would be quiet, yet hidden and incredibly effective. That's how God's presence kingdom works. Have a look back at Luke chapter 13 if you would. 
in your Bibles, because in this section, Jesus gives us two little illustrations, two parables, to help us understand what the, the initial breaking in, the initial advance of God's kingdom will be like. This is where we pick up the story in verse 18. Then Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? Answer. It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. Again he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? Answer, it is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Do you see the point that Jesus is making? The breaking in of God's kingdom, the advance of of God's kingdom may seem slow and unspectacular, but its impact will be huge. The mustard seed will become a mighty tree and the yeast will work its way through the entire batch of dough. That's how God's present kingdom works. And that's why Jesus says to the Pharisees in verse 20, you've missed the point. The the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, big and dramatic, that initial breaking in. Nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. It's already here. The kingdom of God has come because God's king has come. He stood in front of the Pharisees and they cannot see it. Slowly but surely, like the growth of a mustard seed, Jesus will establish his kingdom. And that should encourage us in at least two ways this morning. Firstly, as the good news of Jesus is proclaimed, we should expect others to come to faith. You see, one way that God grows his kingdom is numerically as more people become Christians. Now, as you're probably aware, through the, through the centuries, there's been periods of great awakening. Going back to Acts chapter 2 and the, the coming of the Spirit when God blew in power and 3,000 were added to the church that day. And since then, there's been other periods of, of great awakening and great revival. And we should be praying for this revival. We should be praying for whole towns and villages and families to come to Christ. However, the normal way that God grows his kingdom is through a steady stream of conversions. Like a great glacier, a mighty river of of ice slowly advancing, slowly taking new ground. It's what we read at the end of Acts chapter 2. This is a normal day in the life of the New Testament church. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And as they lived out their normal Christ-centered lives, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It is a picture of steady kingdom growth. Firstly, we should expect others to come to faith. Secondly, we should expect 
others, including ourselves, to grow in faith. You see, kingdom growth is about both breadth and depth. It's about breadth as more people hear about God's King Jesus and trust him. But it's also about depth. It is about a deep work of God in our own hearts. But if you're anything like me this morning, there's many times when you look down into your own hearts and that growth in godliness and in grace can feel frustratingly slow. Well, if that is you this morning, then please don't be discouraged because you are growing. God's kingdom is advancing like a mighty glacier, not just out there in the world, but also in your own hearts as more and more of your life is brought under the loving lordship of Jesus Christ. What God began in eternity, he will bring to completion. We should expect others to come to faith. We should expect others to grow in faith. Why? Because the kingdom of God is in our midst. It isn't just a future prospect. It is firstly a present reality in our lives and in our hearts and in the world today. However, in verse 22, as Jesus turns to address his disciples, he, his attention now turns to the future and to the return of God's king. Have a look at verse 22 to 24. Then he said to his disciples, the time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. People will tell you, there he is or here he is. Do not go running off after them, for the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning, which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. Here's the point that Jesus is making. When he returns in glory to bring in his future kingdom, no one will miss it. The second advent of Christ, the second coming of Jesus will be unmistakable, worldwide, sudden, unavoidable and ultimately tragic for those who do not believe in Jesus. You see, since Jesus left this world 2,000 years ago, he died on a cross for sin. He rose to new life. He ascended into heaven. And since then, since his ascension, there's been many claims, many false messiahs in Christ claiming to be him. But look at what Jesus says in verse 23. Don't be led astray by these claims. Don't go running off after these people because when Jesus comes again, there will be no mistake. There will be no debate whatsoever as to who the real Christ is. Like the lightning flashing and lighting up the sky from one end to the other. Every eye will see it. The return of Jesus Christ. But, verse 25. First he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Do you see the two comings of Christ? His first coming was in humility. He came to suffer and die. He was rejected and ignored by many. But his second coming will be in glory. He will return in all-consuming, triumphant power. And no one will miss it. 
It will be sudden, unexpected, and unavoidable. And that's why Jesus goes on to use those two Old Testament illustrations. Firstly, in verse 26, we read this. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People are eating and drinking, marrying and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. Judgment will be sudden, unexpected, and total. Verse 28, it was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. Judgment will be sudden unexpected and total. don't know how many of you have seen the film Titanic. If you haven't, I'm sure you're familiar with the story. But there's a, there's a really poignant moment in the film after the unsinkable ship, the great Titanic, has hit the iceberg. And the captain and his chief engineer and all the other officers are, are out and they're in this room by the deck and they're, they're, they've unrolled the map of the Titanic, the blueprint of this great ship. And the captain turns to the chief engineer and he says, can she stay afloat? The engineer says, with four compartments flooded, yes. With five, no. The ship will sink. And then there's a really powerful moment of silence while that sinks in. The ship will sink. Then the camera pans across the boat to another room where people are eating and drinking and they're, they're singing and they're dancing and they're totally oblivious to the conversation in that room. Oblivious to the reality that is coming upon them. The, sit, the ship will sink. It will go down. Judgment will come. As we read in the book of Hebrews, man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. It's not death full stop the end. It's death and you stand before God. And it's coming. And you can see the application that Jesus makes in verse 30 as he applies these two Old Testament texts. Look at what he says. It will be just like this on the day the Son of man is revealed, just as it was in the days of Noah, eating and drinking, just as it was in the days of Lot, planting and building, so shall it be when Jesus returns. What we have before us here is a picture of people preoccupied with life. And there are people all around us, in our own lives, in this village, in this country, preoccupied with life, doing their own thing. It's business as usual. They're going to work. They're going to school. They're buying houses. They're getting married. They're playing sport. They're doing stuff. Yet oblivious to the sudden and unexpected return of God's King. And so the question that I must ask you this morning is ever so simple. Are you ready? 
It's a question you've got to ask yourselves this morning. Are you ready for the return of Jesus Christ? Are you ready to meet the King? Well, as we've seen already, we've seen what it will be like when Jesus returns. But the question before us now is, how should we respond? How should we react in light of this great and glorious day? Well, that is the question that Jesus goes on to address in verse 31. This is what he says. On that day, no one who is on the housetop with possessions inside should go back down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. Jesus says the same thing essentially in two different ways. Firstly, don't get too attached to the things of this world. Why? Because this world is passing away. It's like one of those safety announcements you get on the plane before take off. In case of an emergency, please leave your belongings behind and make your way immediately to the nearest emergency exit. It's pretty obvious really, isn't it? But it needs to be said, if the, if the, if the plane is going to crash in the sea, do not worry about your iPad in the overhead compartments. It just doesn't matter. Your life matters. And it's the same when it comes to the return of Christ. Don't get too attached to worldly stuff, to possessions, to things, because judgment is coming. One day they'll pass away. They don't matter. What matters is your eternity. What matters is your relationship with the God of heaven. So run to Christ. Run to that emergency exit. Run to the refuge. Run to the one who died for you. Run to the Lord Jesus and find safety in him. Firstly, don't get too attached to the things of this world. Secondly, don't look back. Remember Lot's wife. It's not a question. It's a command. Remember Lot's wife. And the implication, I think, is pretty clear. Don't be like her. Because when Lot's wife was fleeing Sodom with her family, you know what she did? She looked back and she was turned into a pillar of salt. As one commentator said, even though she fled, she left her heart behind. She loved the world too much. That's why she looked back, because she loved the world. She was too drawn to the things of this world. You see, when you choose to follow Jesus, there is a cost. It means leaving something behind. It's the point Jesus is making in verse 33. Whoever tries to keep their life, whoever is holding on too tightly to the things of this world will lose it. And whoever loses their life, whoever holds loosely to the things of this world, is willing to let go of those things, they will preserve it. They will preserve their life for eternity. Well, by way of application this morning, could I say to you, if you are following Jesus tentatively, if your walk of faith feels weak, if you if you feel like you've been drawn back again and again to the things of this world, then look again to your Saviour. 
Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Know that he is sufficient for you. Know that he loves you. Know that he died for you. And know that there is more joy in Jesus than there is in anything in this world. Set your face towards your Saviour. And don't look back. Or as Jesus would say, remember Lot's wife. As we begin to draw things to a close, we've seen already what it will be like on the day when Jesus returns to bring in his future kingdom. We thought about how Jesus calls us to respond in view of that day. And in these final few verses, we see just how much this matters. Verse 34. I tell you, on that night, two people will be in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken and the other left. Where, Lord, they asked. He replied, where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. Let me read to you some words from J.C. Ryle's commentary. I found these incredibly powerful. Partings. And separations and the breaking up of families are at all times powerful or painful, sorry, things. But all separations that we see now are nothing compared to those which will be seen when Christ comes again. The return of Jesus Christ will divide humanity into two groups. Those who are for Jesus and those who are against That's why Jesus gives us the parables of the sheep and the goats, the wheat and the weeds, the good fish and the bad fish. A day of division is coming, a day that will separate even married couples and best of friends. I tell you, says Jesus, on that night, two people will be in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. Two women grinding grain together. One taken, one left. The one who trusts in Jesus will be taken into his glorious presence. But the one who doesn't believe will be left behind. Verse 37. Where, Lord, they asked. He replied, where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. Now, those words are incredibly hard to hear. But please remember, they're not my words. They're the words of the Lord Jesus. The words of the most loving man that has ever lived. God himself who left heaven and walked in this world and he set his face resolutely towards Jerusalem. He went there to die on a cross. To lay down his life for you in your place with all your sin, every last bit of it. That you might know the wonder of forgiveness. And that you might enjoy the fullness of life in his presence when his King Jesus returns. Those are his words. The words of Jesus that we've been looking at this morning, they're not mine. And we need to take these words seriously. I'm going to leave you with two questions to ponder this morning. The first one you've heard already. Are you ready? Whenever you listen to this, live or on tape, are you ready 
to meet God's King Jesus when he returns. And if you are, praise God. If you've trusted in Christ, praise him from the very core of your being. There's a second question for you. Will you pray? Will you pray hard for those who are not yet ready for the return of Jesus? Let me leave you for a moment with those two questions on the screen to ponder in your own heart. We've been given a great encouragement this morning that Christ will come again in all his glory. We've also been given a great challenge. Um, Are we ready? And if we are ready, then will we pray for those who are not? Uh, We've decided to have a a day of prayer in a couple of weeks' time on Saturday the 12th of September. Um, We won't be able to do it as we normally do, but the church will be open all day um, for you to come and spend some time in quiet uh, as long as you want. Um, If you want to pray at home, that's fine. If you want to meet up with one or two others uh, within the guidelines, that's fine as well. Um, Let's commit to praying Um, for those who are not ready. Um, let's spend time also listening to what the Lord is saying to us at this time of crisis um, to us individually and to us as a church let's close now in prayer whoever tries to keep their life will lose it and whoever loses their life will preserve it Father God we do Thank you for that promise that as we give up the things of this life and submit to you, then we are given that promise that we will live with you for eternity. There's no need to to turn back to the things of this world, but to look forward to when Jesus will come again in all his glory. And that's a wonderful day, Lord. The Lord, we also recognize that it will be a a dreadful day for some, and say, Lord, we do lift them up to you. Pray for those who may be listening in right now, deciding whether they should decide to follow Jesus. Lord, change their hearts, give them a conviction that Jesus is true, and that he's come to save each one of us. And only life following him makes any sense at all. Lord, help us to focus our eyes in in this life that is left to us on him. Help us to live lives which glorify him. Help us all to be ready for when he comes again and gathers his people to be with him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.